My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading comes from James, the fifth chapter. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And our second reading comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Think for a second, what's the first thing we do on Sunday morning during worship, just about every single week? You may take a moment to think of it. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, On the one hand, you might be wondering, like, what exactly does it mean? What do we do? But on the other hand, it's just hard to remember the exact details about things you do so matter of course, so it's like muscle memory. But whatever it is, whatever the reason is, I've found people often struggle to answer this question, and they often answer it incorrectly. Now, on the one hand, maybe that's because, you know, I could mean something like we light the candles, or we listen to the prelude, or have announcements. But the first thing we do, all of us together, is confess our sins. I'd say announcements are something we just sort of need to get done at some point in the morning. So in some congregations, it waits till the middle or even closer to the end. It just depends on what's appropriate as to make sure as many people get that information as possible. In other words, we might think of it as something that's just kind of alongside worship rather than an aspect of it. And then the prelude and the candles mark the transition for us from our ordinary earthy times, socializing, to our time worshiping, focusing on God and God's word. So if we consider that the segue, then again, the first thing we actively participate in together is the confession. Now, this is one aspect of the service that over the last two years we haven't had to let go of, even with all the changes. Even when we were advised to minimize speaking in unison, the confession could come from within and be affirmed out loud with a simple amen. I would lead the words, you would say amen. And I would say it's not quite as effective on remote because you just don't see and hear people joining you in that confession like you do in person. But if you're conscious of it, conscious of the fact that dozens of people whom you know are confessing at the same time, Perhaps you don't need to be in the same room to see it happen. I'm not sure. As we will hear a number of times throughout the next few weeks, there is a possible oversimplified answer to the question, why do we do what we do? And it goes something like, 
Jesus told us to. Or perhaps we find it in Scripture. We can find Bible verses which inform the way we do things, so in some sense they are both motivation and explanation. From the very start of God's relationship with humanity in the Scriptures, this question came up. How do we humans respond to our own sins? When we knowingly do what we should not have done or fail to do what we should have done or even just had the inclination, right? When we're called to account, what are we going to say? Adam and Eve tried to hide. And then countless biblical figures after that just made up excuses. But over and again, what we find is the way to be reconciled to God no big surprise here. It looks a lot like how we get reconciled to each other. And the first step in that is to admit it when we mess up. If we can't own our mistakes and can't let others know that we own them, then how can we expect them to forgive us? So too with God. Moreover, as a guiding force for humanity, God implores us to confess our own sins for our sake. We cannot improve our own lives, like learning from the past, if we aren't honest about the past. But God takes it a bit further than practical life advice. This isn't just like self-help, motivational, coaching sort of deal. This gets into the spiritual, mysterious, eternal sort of things beyond our understanding. And we're going to hear these verses from Jesus again before Lent is over because it's just so central to how Christians worship in a unique way, how we structure our worship. Jesus says, before you give an offering part of being reconciled to God, go and be reconciled to your sibling first. Seeking forgiveness from God should motivate us, and by Jesus' command, compel us, to forgive others and seek their forgiveness too. Okay, so what else? Well, it turns out there's another way we might get an oversimplified answer to these questions. Why do we do what we do? And in our case, for us Lutherans, it's just to say that's what our Lutheran tradition has us do. We lean heavily on the Lutheran reformers, and some other influential thinkers in the tradition ever since. In this case, we might think of Martin Luther and how he was anxious when it came to confession. He followed the Roman Catholic protocol of confessing to a priest each sin he could think of, enumerating them one by one in a list, and then he would go to the Eucharist, to communion. But on his way, he would agonize. What if he forgot to confess a particular sin? Even worse, what if he didn't realize that in those few moments in between, he committed yet another sin? Well, there's another concept that comes along hand in hand, and that's when the Reformers were thinking of a new way to talk about original sin, our sinful nature. They thought of it as concupiscence, a genetically inherited disease that functions a lot like sexual desire. Our sinful nature means we are born with an overwhelming propensity towards sin, such that no matter how hard we wish or try, we will sooner or later sin do something or wish to do something contrary to our intended purpose or God's will for us. Confession, therefore, may be a matter of just confessing that nature. There are things I should have done that I didn't, and there are things that I did that I shouldn't have, but maybe more to the point, that's how I am. That's the sort of way I'm just going to be. With that sense of confession, we can let go of the anxieties that Luther struggled with. It's not a matter of listing each individual sin, nor is a confession invalidated by, say, a vulgar thought on the way to the altar. If that's the case, we don't really need to go to confession one at a time and list our sins. We still can. If it's helpful for our own sake, it's 
just not compulsory. We Lutherans instead usually practice corporate confession. We just all do it at once because we all share that nature. We can all confess the same thing. Lastly, however, let's consider its function in worship. What does confession do? To get to its function, we have to keep in mind that it's virtually always paired with the absolution, a fancy word there for when the worship leader, often the pastor, declares you forgiven. But I did say something a little bit misleading earlier. In some contexts, for part of the year, particularly the season of Easter, the order of confession and forgiveness gets replaced by a thanksgiving for baptism. Rather than confessing our sins and proclaiming our forgiveness as a here and now thing, we look to our baptism in the past as evidence of that same sort of forgiveness and salvation more broadly. This serves the same end. Either way, the way we start our worship service, what we do, confession, forgiveness together, thanksgiving for baptism, it's great. Each of these is a great equalizer. To stick with confession and forgiveness, we say we are each sinners who are utterly incapable of saving ourselves. But then also we are all saints, baptized, set free, forgiven, and saved by God. Both of those statements speak unequivocally about each and every one of us. They don't consider your age, your socioeconomic status. They don't even consider your history, like all the mistakes you made before, or your prospects for the future. Worship is a foretaste of what is to come. It emulates, if only for an hour, what the kingdom of God will look like, how things will be in the resurrection. And in the kingdom of heaven, there is no social hierarchy to speak of. In God's eyes, we are all equals forever unto eternity. Confession and forgiveness reminds us of that. And on top of that, that moment for reflection may well be the only 10 seconds all week that some of us take to stop and give any thought to these matters, to our nature, our mistakes, our shared humanity, our need to improve. Yet that's one of the most important things we can reflect on for improving ourselves, but also for improving our world, for getting reconciled to each other, for drawing closer to God. And it seems so quick, so matter of fact. We've done it a million times before, and yet it can have this profound effect on us as to see ourselves and each other for who we really are, sinners and saints both, always and forever. On the one hand, in need of a Savior, but on the other hand, those who have found one in Jesus Christ. So, that's why we do what we do. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, Whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.